0: I'm Josh Cooperman and this is another installment of Convo by Design Presents West Edge Wednesday. A look back at all of the incredible programming from the 2023 West Edge Design Fair held at the Barker Hangar in Santa Monica, California. These conversations were held on the stage designed by Marbe Designs and presented by BR Home. This is part four entitled Empowering Representation, the Asian American Pacific Islander Experience. As its title suggests, What is the nature of that experience at a time when a premium is placed on the experience of things and diversity is no longer spoken about in hushed voices, hoping things will get better or change, but instead voiced, full-throated, with the understanding that life is better when it includes diverse voices, opinions, colors, races, genders, and ideas? This conversation is presented by the Asian American Pacific Islander Design Alliance and features members Ada Legaspi of Legaspi Courts, Julie Beniardi of Reweave LA, designer Petit Lau, and Will Wynn of Collective Form. This conversation is moderated by Interiors Magazine's Erica Heat, someone whom I've known for a long time and greatly admire. Thank you to Convo by Design partners and sponsors, Thermosol, Moya Living, and Design Hardware for making the podcast possible. And thank you for listening and watching these episodes of the show. For links to all of our partners, guests on this episode, West Edge Design Fair, Mar Designs, Be Our Home, please check the podcast show notes for links. And you can find that at ConvoByDesign.com and click the podcast tab. Thanks for watching and listening Here's okay, Erica he- Thank you, Josh.
1: And thank you all for being here. And happy holidays, I guess. I'm sorry. We're not ready. Um, okay. So we sat in order to be, to be nice. <laughs>
2: we want to make sure that you guys can tell us apart.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So... <laughs> My name is Erica Heat, and I am the editor of Interiors Magazine, and I am just so thrilled to be here with our rock star panels. So we have Julie Beniardi. She is the co-founder of Reweave LA, which makes one-of-a-kind pieces from fabric samples sourced from the leading interior design showrooms, and it was founded on the belief that sustainable luxury is possible. Please welcome Julie. Julie, we have Pate Lau, an international interior designer specializing in high-end residential and commercial designs, and has developed a signature style she has coined "Aristo Freak." Please welcome Pate. Adele Legaspi is the co principal of Legaspi Courts, a Los Angeles based multidisciplinary design studio specializing in custom architectural residences and bespoke interior design. Please welcome Adele. And finally, Will Win is the principal of Collective Form, which connects architects, interior designers, and developers with Europe's most celebrated furniture, lighting, and home furnishing luxury brands. He is also the president of uh, Apida West. Please welcome Will. <laughs> I want to start with a quote that... Um, Pete said when she received the Rising Star Award from her alma mater, NYSID, you say NYSID, right? New York School of Interior Design. I feel so proud and honored to be part of an industry that's so supportive of everyone. And it's not a sense of competitiveness, but a sense of how can we make each other better and how can we be better and improve the lives of others. Design is for everyone. So thank you for that beautiful sentiment. So I'd love to start by asking each of you how you came up in design in your own words. So do you wanna start, Will? Okay.
2: (laughs) Well, um, I have to start way back. I actually was an accident. So uh, my mom, uh, who's actually in the audience, I'm very excited to have her here. She flew in from Dallas, and so what's really interesting and funny is that my sister and I are only uh, ten, 10 months and two weeks apart, so I think at the time, they didn't realize that I could have been the miracle child versus an accident, but that's how <laughs> I started. Um, fast forward, I uh, I went to college in Austin, Texas. I was a, a rowing coach, but then I ended up working at Williams-Sonoma. Um, William Sonoma basically taught me how to uh, basically the love of design and furniture, move my way into other aspects of design. Uh, With my business partner right back there, Aiden Lima and I, we started Collective Form. It's a a boutique design firm that focuses on European-made products. We focus on mom and pops uh, because we feel like their voices uh, need to be heard here in the U.S. All of those big brands, BB Talia, Minotti, excellent. We love them, but they are deep-pocketed. Uh, and so we bring the makers that are smaller, that are still creating really beautiful product. And we actually uh, find a voice here. And we have 12 showrooms throughout the US. Um, and so we're uh, located here in LCDQ at Legends. And we're very excited to be here, so yeah.
3: Hi, um, so my name is Adel Legaspi, and I'm from, I actually was born in the Philippines. I came here when I was six years old, and I'm the youngest of four daughters. Um, I got my start in design actually working for Kelly Wurstler during, you know, college. And, um, you know, as I kind of came up into design, I worked in a lot of architecture firms, and worked at Jamie Bush's office, and eventually opened my practice. Um, I've had it for 11 years now and have done, you know, really fun residential projects along with some really creative commercial interiors.
4: Hi, my name is Pate Lau, and I didn't start out like, you know, how kids were like, oh, when I was a you know, three years old, I would move furniture. That was not me <laughs> at all whatsoever. I was always a creative and I loved music. So every Asian kid loves to play the piano. <laughs> so I was playing the piano and then I actually started singing and I found a voice in singing. And so I was training to be an opera singer. I really wanted to be going to Juilliard and and lit, you know, and have that. Um, but then when my father passed away when I was 17, that trajectory changed and I, and I was like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And so I kind of basically ran around the world trying to figure out who I was. And I somehow ended up living in Thailand and um, I started a clothing line for chefs. I started a restaurant. Um, and then I ended up designing a restaurant for a hotel, not even thinking about interior design. And it wasn't until my friend's father, who was an English businessman that lived in Russia, but lived in, you know, bought villas on the island that I was living, and he was like, hey, I love this restaurant that you did. You know, do you want to come and do my house? And I was like, sure, okay. <laughs> and, um, and throughout that time, prior to before that, I always felt like, I didn't know who I, I didn't know like I was a designer. I was, I couldn't say like, I'm a restaurateur because I didn't really feel like a restaurateur. So design really kind of found me. And as I was, you know, figuring it out how to do it, I just would go to the market. I would find a, a workroom to do my window treatments. And I found someone to do the plants because it was very like, you know, and I was like, wow, this is really fun. I really like this. And so I ended up deciding to move back to the States and I moved to New York city and went to the New York School of Interior Design. And that was about um, over 12 years ago,
5: and so here I am. <laughs> Hi, I'm Julie Vignardi. Um I sort of had the unorthodox path of um, becoming a designer, so I actually went to the USC Business School. And um, when I was working for a company, um, and I was going to law school, in the evening I went to Southwestern Law, I was—I um, was actually a spec book from Hirsch Bedner landed on my desk because the owner of the company was doing his house, and from a house became to a hotel. So I was doing all the spec and purchasing. This was in the '90s, and so when I was looking, playing at fabrics and COM forms, I was thinking, "Like, gosh, this is more fun than doing financial modeling and doing accounting and doing cash flows." And I'm like, hey, you know, this is probably should be my calling. So I really kind of like the rest is history. I started my own firm in 2003. Um, but five years ago, I co-founded with my um, co-founder, Debbie Ouyang. Debbie, can you say hello right in the front? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, we started an organization called Reweave. So um, as Erica mentioned, so we up, us upcycle, you know, all the high-end interior design Fabrics from the showrooms at the PDC and also uh, surrounding areas in LA. Um, we upcycle them into, make, we make them into one of a kind fashion and uh, home goods and accessories. And everything is primarily made in the USA and predominantly made in LA. And we give back percentage of the sales to a nonprofit that helps women transition from homelessness. So that's really good. Okay. And we're
1: going to get into talking about APIDA and its tenets, but before, I, I wanted to ask each of you, as, as you were finding your voice in design, did you find that there was a lack of advocacy, mentoring, and support from people who had similar backgrounds and experiences as you? And then we'll get into how APIDA sort of helps solve some of these challenges but let's mix it up however you however you
3: see fit. Yeah, I mean I think you know coming up in design school like I went to design school and I think I, I was fortunate enough to go to a school that was very diverse. you know there're all uh, sorts of um, you know students from different backgrounds, different cultures. but I think once you uh, get into the working world, being a minority, you want to find someone that you can identify with, you know, that will be your mentor, you know, I think that's really important. So, I think for me, you know, I I worked at a lot of, fortunately, I worked at firms that had, you know, um, some of those um, that I looked up to, but I think it's still difficult for somebody as a young person to feel confident to seek that out, you know, and uh, and find that, that potential mentor, So I think, um, for me, I saw you know I saw you know um, great arch- architectural you know Asian architects in in our firms or in the industry. But it's I think it's very hard for Asian you know like our persona. We you know we're not so like, or for me anyways. I'm not very like. I'm just gonna go up to somebody and say, hey, can you you know. I want to talk to you and learn about the business or learn about, um, you know, the industry. So, you know, it was, it was challenging, I think, to find that mentorship or that, you know, somebody to look up to because if, even if you Google, like, Asian interior designers or Asian architects, even in a local, you know, manner, it's very hard to find that, right? So I think... Um, for me, it, it was challenging, but I, you know, I think I try. I tried my best to seek it out myself.
2: I, I, I was going to mention that um, we, we've had this conversation many times, and amongst others that in our group, that if you're Asian American, you are either first generation, second generation here in the U.S., or sons and daughters. Um, of first and second generations. And so our history here in the US is quite short overall. Um, I am the son of refugee parents who came here during the war of Vietnam. And so when they came here in 1975, um, they were basically on survival mode. One of the things that we had with our parents is that they have two photos, one of my mom and dad when they were married, uh, when they were first married in Vietnam, of course, Uh, A photo of my mom and her, um, our oldest brother, and then basically the clothes on their back. So if you are a Vietnamese American, many times you're probably, you didn't have a lot. You didn't have the things that of generations time of developing here in the U.S. And so for me growing up, it was something that I yearn for and seek because I wanted to find someone who looked like me, who did things that I did, role models that basically can um, inspire the next generation. And so I don't think at my young age there was a furniture owner, (laughs) a boutique furniture owner at that time that I was growing up. But... As I got into the design world, um, you know, I just saw someone earlier today, Amy Kim, Interior Design, I haven't seen her in years, but I did mention to her when I saw her in in the VIP booth, I'm like, hey, these are our lights here, but I remember meeting you at my first job at Ralph Pucci, and you were one of my first people that came to shop at our store. And so these representation, people that are doing things that we're doing is important. And so here we are, there's a young Julie, a young Pate, a young Ado, and somewhere in here is a young Will. And so we have to basically find that opportunity to change, and that's why we're here.
4: I mean, I think more and more, you know, like when I think back on it, I, I going to all of the events in design school, like in design school, you have a lot of like, there was like a lot of Asians, but they would always kind of be grouped up. And then I think you're absolutely right. Going into the work field or going to design events and meeting the industry, mostly everyone was, you know, not Asian. And when you did go to an event, you're like, oh, there's another Asian, (laughs) you know? And so I think that's been something that's been really wonderful. And I think part of the APTA that we've, you know, been launching and and we're we're having such an incredible feedback and, like, everyone is just so excited to be a part of... um, you know, be a part of a community, and I think what's so interesting is we're all feeling that every single person has a story, and everyone is relating to this, and so it's really exciting. And we, it's like this thing that kind of got started, and then now it's growing. And you know, as you lift, rise as you lift, is one of my, um, you know, mottos, and I think it's something very, you know, true to this day. And and many also different industry, whether it's entertainment, it's also the design and home and architecture, so it's really exciting
5: time to be Asian. (laughs) I had the great honor and privilege to have met Rocky, the late Rocky LaFleur when I first started. I mean, how many people in this room know of Rocky? Yeah, so he's well-loved, and when I first met him, he was very welcoming. He spoke to me like I was a big boss, even though I just started in the business, and he just told me to show up at everything at every function and ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. So I look up to Rocky as my first mentor and um, yeah so and and Rocky was one of our became one of our relieves advisors, and he was the first one to actually believe in our cause and our mission um, so he's been a fixture in my life. Yes.
1: Love Rocky. So let's get into Apata. And Will, would you, would you start us off and just give us a little background as sure. to how it, uh, the, the group formed?
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm actually super excited because it's 5 p.m. on a Friday and you guys could be anywhere, but you're here. And so you showing up here shows that you care and representation matters and so we really appreciate that. Um, When Pate and I attended the first APATA event, so that's Asian American Pacific Islander Design Alliance, it's a mouthful, but you'll remember it soon. Uh, (laughs) But it's a mouthful, but she and I attended the ICFF event in New York and it was really exciting because it's not, that we're, it's not that we're excluding anyone and we're not because we are all allies together and when we are all strong and lift with each other, we're much stronger as an industry. So um, it took a while for it to come out to LA but we did a Legends event and the core group with, with Debbie here in the, in the audience, the, the five at the time, we started it because we felt like this is very now and present. You know, like, if you think about the movie Crazy Rich Asians, and it's, it's everything that we all aspire to be, but that's not the true way. We don't walk on water into weddings. So, <laughs> but we might want to one day. But, that, but that's basically one of the uh, illusions that we're all rich, and we're not. You know, there's some of us are quite wealthy. But there's some of us who basically are immigrants and we're here. And then there's the Southeast Asians that are from Burma and Laos and Cambodia who are struggling. And we are a very diverse group of Asians. But when we started this group, it's because we really thought that there's a common interest not only in design, but also of heritage. And there's a common thread that weaves everything that we do in terms of what we, how we grew up and how we are come about here in America. And that's why we started. So when we did our launch party, Pate, Julie, Debbie, uh, sorry, Edo. (laughs) Sorry. Edo, Debbie. We had a launch party that we didn't know how many people would show up. But we were like, let's do an Asian night market down the alley. Let's have a DJ. Let's have a photographer. Let's have drinks. All of those items were sponsored and everyone was giving it for free. Um, So through the connections of our own networks and our friendships and... And we were able to create a party that ended up having 200, 300 people over the course of three hours. And so we knew that it was something that everyone wanted. It's a yearning that we all are, are, are um, desiring. And um, the reason that Collective Forum is showing the lights here is through an APTA member, Julia Wong Designs, who designed it. But... It is these connections that are so important. But Julie and I have known each other for many years. We won't tell them how many, but it's been many years. But these connections are important, and that's why we started it.
3: Yeah, and I think you know one of the tenants, you know, for, for Alba is to advocate, you know, for each other. Like I think, even creating this group, right? It was so um, organic, right? I think, like I, I met well this year like, and, and also uh, Julie and Debbie, we know mutual people. I met Pate, I think, a couple of years ago when she moved to LA, and when we, um, you know, when we started talking about, you know, doing the Apata Legends event, it was very fast. You know, we threw that together in a very fast manner, but I think what that says about our group and, you know, the community is that we'll kind of, we'll, we'll help each other out, you know, and like really organize and, Um, especially try to celebrate each other. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we are, you know, feel strongly about is to really um, advocate for the community, you know, create a community in this industry.
4: Um, One of the things, you know how sometimes when you meet people and you're like, oh yeah, we're gonna hang out, you know? (laughs) And then it never happens because you're like really busy. And that was, Adel and I, we were always like, yes, we're gonna hang out and then you know, things, would ha- life happens. And, and so it was really actually through that event that we, we hosted that really, really started building a relationship with everyone. And I think, again, back to it, it's like the sense of community that everyone was really yearning for. And it just has this, and again, it's like, there is an excitement to be a part of it. It almost like gives you goosebumps because you're like excited to be a part of something deeper and bigger than all of us.
5: I mean, I think this is like the first, Group that we have in the design industry, right? So there's been in, in a groups that's, um, you know, app, AAPI in entertainment industry, but not in the design industry. So we're f- probably the first. But just since that party in May, we have so much support. We have, you know, designers. Um, we have someone who came from Seattle just to support us today. This, you know, blew in this morning. So truly grateful and blessed. And.
2: And and I do want to kind of touch upon the tenants a little bit further because you you did talk about the awareness and advocacy. Um, Pate is going to talk about the um, mentorship and then collaboration. But one of the ones that we think is really important is the dialogue that we have with magazines. And so, you know, a lot of the questions that I have basically posed to the magazines is you guys hold the keys, you guys are the editors, you're the publishers. Why are we not seeing our faces in this magazine? And that's going to be for everything. Uh, and I will pose the same questions for Lux, for all of the magazines out there, because we have very talented people here or future talented people in this audience. And this is how we elevate everybody and make sure that we're heard. And it's not to basically say um, it's only API. What I want to say is that when I go to a design event, and if it's an older white male-only crowd as keynotes, I think that there's a problem because it's the responsibility for us to show women designing, it show minority designing, new talent with different uh, perspectives, someone who has a different background, immigrants, Americans, it doesn't matter what, when we can kind of show that we, that type of design that's happening and put the pressure at the top, it's gonna make our industry a lot better. And so that's one of the tenants that we want to ensure that just like here at West Edge, just having the opportunity to have four Asian people on the panel, I don't know if that's ever been done. So it's a really great thing that we're doing here at West Edge. And Pate can talk more about her mentorship and what she does with NYSID.
4: So uh, since I you know went to school with New York School of Interior Design, I was there a few months ago to do an you know to promote you know um, Appita and also just you know talking about the business of design you know and and um, what that's like and it was so inspiring to have um, these you know these 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 students come up to me and you know they basically like they're like oh I worked in finance and I'm g- giving everything up and throwing it all into this one dice to hopefully like make this work. <laughs> and I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> You know? And so, yeah, so I think mentorship is a really important um, part of our organization and we're also launching, you know, planning that out and, you know, working with brands and getting funds and scholarships to help, um, you know, students from different, you know, all over to give them um, more opportunities in And just, and also just, you know, anybody who wants to be part of, who wants to mentor, you know, that responsibility of just really raising the next generation.
1: So tell us more about how, uh, how APATA works, how, how people can become involved, how, how you became involved and when do you meet, how do you meet, et cetera, sort of the business of, of APATA.
4: Well, we're currently setting up the organization yeah. as we speak and trying to figure out there's a whole, the, the main one, which is like the governance, and trying to figure out whether we're going to be a 501c3 or a 501c6, and we're just kind of in that process of figuring all of that stuff out. And then we've also broke it down through um, the different uh, regions. So we have the West, which is all along the West Coast. We also have uh, Central, is it?
2: All right, I'm just gonna cut you off real quick because all they care about is drinks and parties. (laughs) So we're gonna cut through and that's how we meet. We meet at design events like this. We go to different events throughout the uh, 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 LA, SF, and then we eat and we drink because Asians, if you have food and drinks, we're always there. (laughs) Raise your hand if you love food, (laughs) thank you, because later afterwards at the VIP booth, we'll have drinks. But I would say that our dinners, our family dinners is what we've been doing. So we're calling it family dinners, Ado um, termed the coin. Um, and basically, we meet a few times a month where it's like vendors, it's designers, it's architects, it's a husband or plus one, or even a, we had a child come as well, future designers. But it is the dinners that really has united us. You know, we have a really strong team of volunteers. We have Grace here in the front, and we have Lynette in the back somewhere. Janice, my buddy, where are you? Oh, Janice, right here. Um, And then Debbie, of course, but you know, it is these events that have connected us, and it's the networking that has really uh, been the the winning uh, strategy, the winning note. And so, for example, I met someone at dinner, and that person ended up helping us install and that was someone that we met at is Philam Construction. Mm-hmm. So through these connections, we're able to kind of expand our our uh, vendors and outreach.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think again, it's really for anyone to use us as a resource, right? Like, to for you to, for you to be comfortable and say, "Hey, Will, um, you know, I need you know some advice on." you know, starting a furniture line or something like that, right? Or Or
2: Julia saying, Will, I need lighting, and then then we got lighting here, right, (laughs) Julia?
3: Yeah, or, you know, again, like going back to, you know, reaching out to the uh, students, I think, again, you know, that's super important to us to really be a resource for the schools and to future designers to be able to say, okay, how do I get an internship? Or how do I put my portfolio together? What are, you know, what is industry looking for, you know? So I think, like, again, going back to how we all started and what we were trying to look for, that's kind of one of the things that's, you know, guiding us, not just for young students, but also young professionals that are um, trying to find that mentorship.
2: And, sorry, I'm gonna jump in real quickly again. I just if you're Asian-American or even Asian from another country, your three possible careers. You guys are kids. What's, the, what's one of the career that your parents said you had to do? What's that? Ner- oh, okay. Well, doctor, nursing, yeah. And the other one would be a lawyer or an engineer. Like, this was ingrained in our heads. And then you play the piano, the violin, and if you're a girl, you did ballet. We're here to basically stop all that because we want you to know that there's life outside of those things. It's so boring. You you can be successful as a and if you're a doctor here, I love you, but you can have a career here as a creative and be successful and look like us. And one of the things I would say is that you have to have the courage, the courage to be able to fail. If you have the courage to fail, then you know that you'll never fail because you'll work so hard to never let it happen. But if you don't have that courage, it's never going to happen. You really have to ingrain that. I'm looking over there because you guys are young. Not you, but behind. (laughs) But the young ones back there, they need this lesson. So we're telling them.
1: Was that part of your story, uh, expectations within the community and attitudes toward a design career?
5: I mean, I come from a family of entrepreneurs, so the way they see it is, if I can make money in design, they're good with it.
4: (laughs) Asians love food and love money.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like Will was saying, like you have to kind of check all those boxes and... For me, I was fortunate enough that my uncle was an architect, so it was, you know, easy for my mom to be okay with the path that I took. But, you know, again, to be an entrepreneur, that's scary, you know, for any parent, right? So I think, um, you know, again, like what Will's saying, it's like you have to really have the confidence to uh, to try it out.
1: Do you think organizations like APITA help sort of, I don't know, legitimize the idea of design as a, a lucrative and wonderful career?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like there's more people who are now like, I can be an interior designer or I've been architect or work in the industry because they're seeing it, you know. So, yes, I totally believe that. Yeah.
3: And I, I think it also elevates the industry, right? You're now seeing so many different um, talent, you know, levels of talent, uh, different types of work that's being done. So I think that alone will push the industry farther and encourage people to do better work.
2: And, and I always say the first step is to make the first step, right, because now that we've made this step as an organization, we can look forward to where we were and where we'll go. Um, But we are not here without the help of someone like Linda from BID, who also is one foot in BID. Where is Linda? Oh, Linda. One foot in BID and one foot in Napata. But, you know, we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us, and without them leading the way, creating an avenue, a path, a river, a meandering river. But it basically allowed us to really see that, and so we can be that same organization, and they are our role models. Mm-hmm. And we'd look, an, we look for a day when we can basically collaborate with BID or a, another organization that, that basically pushes Latin American designs or Middle Eastern design. But if there was an organization like that, we'd love to meet them. Because all of our designs are so cool, and we can really basically learn from each other. And they've, gone, they've done the steps for us, we can fine-tune it with their consult- consultations.
1: I'm glad you brought up BID and uh, like the Black Artists and Designers Guild. Everything seems to have come together in the last few years. It has been an, a very difficult and challenging time, and these organizations were born out of some pretty intense struggles and some really difficult conversations that I'm glad they took place. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the importance of of organizations
3: that help empower um, certain groups. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things, you know, APADA from the East Coast, I mean, that's you know, when all the Asian hate crimes were happening, um, that's also one of the fuels of how this organization came about because of seeing the rise of Asian hate crimes and also all the other, you know, tragedies during that time. And so that was a way again for us to seek community, right? And I think us as designers, you know, the Asian American designers, you know, we were a little bit confused and scared, you know. My mom was telling me like, am I allowed to go outside? Like, because, you know, she's like, you're seeing all these senior citizens getting harmed in uh, San Francisco. And so I think that was, you know, one of the ways for us to to connect, you know, with this organization. So definitely I think all the things that were happening at that time definitely influenced um, groups like us. So you talked a little bit earlier about the
1: role of, of media, editors, publishers in supporting, supporting groups like APIDA and supporting designers of color, and of course you're right. And uh, what, what can we do better? to help support communities of color and designers of color.
2: I think a dialogue is the most important thing because I think that a lot of times when you are holding the keys at, um, at the top of these great uh, shelter magazines, it is intimidating as well because you don't want to do the wrong thing. You don't want to look... Um, let's say you're the editor or the publisher or the owner of Sandow or you don't want to make the, take the wrong steps. So what I would say is someone like you in power in those organizations reach out to an organization like this that's starting up. It could be badge. It could be bid. It could be any one of us. And that dialogue alone is already a step forward that hasn't happened before. So by having this conversation now where we can have uh, opportunities for us to show the representation of our designs, collective designs here, um, it's great because better voices, better eyes, new ideas, it's so important for all of us to see that, so important for the young ones to see that. And, you know, we, we have paved the way slightly from people who came before us, and we will continue to do that because we know that there's, there's a whole army of people behind us that's gonna want the same thing and we want them to be successful, yeah. And that's, that's, that's what I would recommend.
1: Do you have any, any thoughts on that or Yeah, and I think
3: just to add, you know, seeing other different faces, right? Like, you know, we it almost becomes this thing where sometimes magazines check off the boxes of picking the same people because they meet a certain criteria or minority group and so they're showing the same types of people. And like, look at this room, for example, there's so many different designers of different cultures and minorities that, you just have to seek out like badge, or bid, or us, or any other group, and you have a full resource to, to find different talent. So,
2: And we had a dinner. In our dinner, we talked about tokenism, right? Like, Typically, you see the same type of people, same designers there. But I would say for the magazines and the heads of all the magazines, look for other designers. They're going to be in our group. They're going to be people who you haven't seen. Find those people, and then basically have a broader perspective of design.
4: Yeah, or reach out. Like a lot of times, we go to events and stuff like that. Like talk, just have that conversation. Introduce yourself, and don't even think of yourself as Asian or whatever. Just have you know, get out there and talk to people, meet people, and you know, that's and 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 develop the relationships. Because that's at the end of the day, that's what it's it's all about, right? It's the relationships that we develop.
5: Um, In a reweaves case, I think we're touching a touchy subject, which is textile waste. So that's something that we are really also wanting to uh, get media to take notice. Um, We're starting to do that. And um, what we're doing with, what we are actually doing with upcycling with the textile waste. Um, When I started in the business, I had to, you know, the, the, all the showrooms were giving me envelopes for us to return the unused fabrics. But I think in the industry is now doing away with that just because of rising costs, et cetera. Um, but that's something that needs to be really addressed because a lot of manufacturers, um, you know, for me as a designer, because I'm really appreciating the cost of sampling and I really have respect for the manufacturers you know, to be giving us these fabrics, but I think a lot of designers are taking these samples um, for granted. And so, you know, Debbie and I, we've collected over 13,000 pounds of textiles, unwanted textiles, just in the past five years from the high-end showrooms. Um, So, you know, so we just wanted to kind of amplify that story and um, uh, to help us you know, recognizing the textile waste in the industry. It's an
1: incredible thing that you're doing, and you're you're making art out of it too, which is extraordinary. So thank you for what you do. So let's let's go back into those core tenets for for a few moments, and we we will have time probably for a couple of questions. So please um, be thinking of questions, and so we'll open it up in just in just a few minutes. But um, do. Do any of these tenets sort of resonate a little bit more with some of you? Are you, as such, as a kind of a burgeoning organization, do you feel like you take on certain, you know, certain advocacy work or or certain, you know, we've got advocacy. Here's the five the five core tenets. Advocacy, awareness, collaboration, dialogue, and mentorship. So how are you figuring, figuring out how to execute the, the tenets of...
2: Well, it's a lot. <laughs> uh, I, I think that because there's so many different ones, what, where I think that I'm probably most effective would be to be able to speak to um, companies, uh, showrooms, uh, design um, fairs, as well as publishers, because I feel like I'd like to see our voices at all of those events, at market weeks, at basically uh, in magazines, um, speaking to major sponsors, like say, Monogram, if you're over there listening to me, uh, you know, there would be great uh, opportunities for us to kind of all speak, because um, those are the, I'd love to see an ad with an Asian person in Monogram, for example, or someone designing a textile for a venerable collection out of France. That's an Asian person. So if those are the things that we could change, and it doesn't have to be Asian, sorry. Let's not limit that. But if we can change some of the design, designers in those aspects by creating an aha moment, like why, why aren't we tapping an Asian person creating a shinrosery for a venerable collection? We should. And so that's where I feel like I'm strongest in terms of advocating for this um, organization.
3: I mean, in adding to Will, you know, for me, it's advocacy in terms of um, lifting everybody up in the industry, young and old, in in, you know, in our group. Um, And, you know, again, celebrating each other's wins, right? I think that's important, even internally, you know, rooting each other on. Because I think one of the things that we notice, especially in our group, we're all uh, business owners, like sole, you know, solo entrepreneurs, and I think at times that's very isolating, right? Because you want to be able to say, "Hey, I, you know, do you have some advice for this? I'm going through X with a client." So I think I feel like having this, you know, we call it a family because you can tap into each other's network internally and um, be a resource for that. So I think you know, for for our industry, like uh, that's important to me because. I would love to have had that when you know starting my business, and I think that's important for younger designers to have access to and also for students to have access to
4: yeah, and just being a professional like oh who do i who do I reach out to to you know to like a, a good attorney for a new project that I'm working on or something else you know like who do I reach out to for um, business advice and management and all of that. So we, so I think it's just like having that community and and being able to like, ta- reach out to someone, developing relationships, and then food and wine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I think one of the key ones that uh, for Riwi, if you guys have a collaboration uh, that you might want to mention. Y- yeah.
5: Yes, thanks. Um, so as I mentioned, so in the past five years, we've collected over thirteen pound 13,000 pounds of textiles just from the, um, from the showrooms. We do get calls from designers and they ask us, oh, can you pick this up and you pick that up? And we're always just saying, no, you have to return those to the showrooms. But you know, Debbie and I pretty much essentially have collected mountains of textiles, so, but we can't, we're a two women team, so we can't move the mountains of textiles ourselves, so we definitely need the community to help us and support us with that effort. Um, so this year we've um, cl- we're fortunate to have collaborated with um, yeah. historic textile house, textile house Rubelli, um based in Venice, and well, essentially we're collaborating with all the showrooms who are believe in our mission and sustainability, like Letis and Thibault. Um but also we're collaborating with um, George Escovel, a famous LA shoe ba- LA based shoemaker, and as well as an artist based in Washington D.C.
1: Yeah, because the storage must be a huge part of this undertaking.
5: Yes, we didn't want to be in the storage business. (laughs) But it's part of the issue that we have to face.
1: This panel is really taking off. I'm sorry, I say that one every time, I'm really sorry. (laughs) Okay, Um, real quick, before we open it up, um, what are your goals for the future of Apita? What would you like to see?
2: uh, For me, I would love to see everyone here sign up afterwards, so we'll give you the QR codes, so that's my pitch. But um, the goal would be, for me, like to see a robust community where we can tap into a young person kind of tap into basically, hey, how do I meet and connect with someone and and maybe get uh, work with somebody for a career? But even as venerable professionals like ourselves, we still need help. So there are other designers on the New York side that could really give us some knowledge in terms of how we could work um, certain angles in terms of with with different uh, magazines, with different design houses. So it's a continuing education that doesn't stop um, for any of us who are professionals now, but it also is gonna continue to help younger ones that are coming on board. But we wanna make the impact at a younger stage, and so I know I talked to Rios, and Hui is back here, uh, the partner at Rios Architecture, and I basically said, we have these kids that are the inner city in Chinatown we should invite them to your campus, and we should show them that this is what we do. It's fun. We get to decorate. We get to make things. But if they don't see it at that young age, they won't know that it's possible. So in my dream, if we can expand and do that and inspire the kids, they're the ones who are going to change this world. They're the ones who are going to basically want to upcycle. They're the ones that want to make sure that our earth is basically here when they're alive and their children. So... Yeah, that is going to be what I would wish for our our organization going forward to inspire current people and the next generation.
4: I'd love for, like, you know, people who are professional that's non-Asian <laughs> but um, that are coming in with their expertise so that they can help, you know, build a community and, and have, you know, provide more businesses and more advice. So I'd love, you know, not just designers and architects and, like, like many, you know, a, just different people in our field. I think that having that resources and would be so incredible because again, I truly believe in relationships and you know most of the time you're you build those relationships when you um, have that time to actually like converse and so these dinners are really great because you build a little relationship beyond just saying like hi how are you you know kind of a thing when you're at an event. Um, so yeah, I'd love to see more people involved and and wanting to be a part of it and you know, and and helping each other grow our businesses.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things about, you know, you know, for us as outreach, I would love to see, you know, more um, outreach in schools again for, you know, our organization to, you know, do mentorship. You know, we have so many design schools in Los Angeles alone. I think that in itself would be a great way for us to connect Um, to not only Asian Americans, it's just to the student body and to really um, help them and guide them in the future. Yeah, raise funds for scholarships
4: and potential opportunities and, you know, going to Maison or going to, you know, West Edge and inviting them to real-life experiences.
2: Oh, go ahead. We're starting to do that now, too, with what we're doing. So we opened up the... We actually have our VP here from Seattle, James Fung, in the front here. But he flew in from Seattle. So we actually have started opening up other chapters. So Seattle has opened, we have 10 minutes, Uh, Seattle. (laughs) And then basically San Francisco has also, uh, is another chapter that we're opening with Naz, uh, Nozawa, Alicia Chung, Lichtenstein from Studio Hima. They're going to head up that portion. So we're kind of doing the West Coast. And then we'll obviously need Las Vegas and Colorado and Denver. So those other chapters are the future. But once we get this integral stage ready, the other ones can follow suit. Yeah, And Julia.
5: You are asking about what's next, right? Basically, where are my goals? So my, actually my personal goal is um, I serve on the USA Marshall Business School Board. And um, during COVID, I actually put together an event. Um, it, it was titled, I think it was titled uh, design for your kind of COVID environment space. Um, we were fortunate to have Gary Wheeler, um, the then president of ASID. Um, speak to our group and he one of the things that Gary said to me really resonated with me was Julie I wish I had taken a business class or business course or actually studied you know so business so i so I can know how to run my business better and there was a lot of things that I wish I had known and so I was like um and I also, actually, Debbie and I were invited to speak at the USC um, Roski School of Art, and there were actually business students in the class, but there were a lot of fashion students who also said to us the same thing, that they actually wish they could also learn some business. So um, I also serve on the Otis, um, board of, Otis our School Board of Governors, so I think my passion right now is to actually create you know, not just for Abda, but also like a joint degree between business and the creatives.
4: Nice. I want to take that class. <laughs> Josh, do
1: you have a mic back there? He's ready. Okay, so we have we have time for like one or two brief questions. Please keep it keep it brief and don't be shy.
2: Come on. Don't be that Asian stereotype where you don't <laughs> raise your hand in an audience, so.
1: got one here in the front yes not a question but a suggestion to publishers in the audience and that is how do we make it possible that we can get more representation and how about when there's the form when we're filling out for designers to submit their work is there the option to select so the publishers would be adding this to their form to actually put a bid on the form, so that way we could actually just get more representation even at the outset of the um,
0: entry submission.
1: That's a really that's a really good point. I'll, I'll answer first as an editor that um, we we do uh, value organizations, you know, such as ASID, IIDA, et cetera, et cetera, AIA, and there's no reason that these shouldn't these um, other organizations shouldn't be at that same level do you feel like that's i think it was a very good point thank you do you feel like that would help help the cause do you do you like the idea of of that of you know an organization representation as part of your your pitch or your identity
4: i mean i think yes but at the same time i feel like no one's looking at what you look like or where you're from like they're looking at your work you know so in a way i feel like I think it's I think that if you're putting your you're, you're putting your work out there they're you're viewing it and yes it could be an added bonus that you're Asian or you know whatever and y- you know like I think that right I mean like when you're looking at where you're looking at the name and then you look the person up and then that's an added bonus but is it really like just because you're Asian that your work is being and I think that's what you're talking about like over the course like same people are being selected because of you know the issue or whatever you know what I'm saying sorry but you know what I mean like I think that I think that's kind of you know the work is really not so much the person but the work that they're presenting. Yeah I
3: mean I think you know looking at the organization as a resource is great right because then it allows you to have um, you know more viability to to see what is out there Mm -hmm. right so I think in that sense yes I think that is a great idea but I understand you know I totally agree with you you do not want to just choose a project because that person's checking off the box again I think it's great to have an organization like AIA, ASID, IIDA all those organizations because they are a resource they have you know outreach and I think if our organization becomes a resource to allow editors and other businesses to tap into then yes i would be okay with that
4: yeah like i would love so say like callista they wanted they want to like design a, a collection with an up and coming designer maybe they look at badge or they look at bid and they look at you know apata like that would be a great resource and mm-hmm. and i think that's one of the things that the organization does do is we're trying to showcase All of the different makers and um, designers and architects work and so we're pushing that out and that is the advocacy part so Mm -hmm. I think having that organization is is really and if you're a part of it you're seeing it you're gonna see the people who are being uh, presented okay
1: anybody else we have we have time for another one okay right here I was curious if there are any um, elements of your heritage that constantly influence your work, if that makes
2: sense.
4: That's a good question, because I think one time, really, really a long time ago in my earlier, like, I remember someone saying to me, like, oh, well, your work is really Asian. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, I'm like, it's not Asian. I was like, Well, first of all, it was in Thailand, you know, so, okay. <laughs> but... I think it gives, it adds the richness to what we do, because I think one of the things I really, I mean, as designers, we're like, we love humans. We're like interested, it's anthropology. It's like looking into, and so I think finding these different things about the cultures, you can relate with them more. So in ways like, there is a there is like a, a a like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like a feeling. So a little bit, but I'm not aesthetically thinking like, you know, I'm going to design something super Asian, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's actually, it's funny, I just got asked to do like a like a commercial project, and it's like a in the J- Japantown downtown, and they're like, and the whole space is like, they're trying to redo, I'm like, well, everything is, when you think of Asian, you're thinking red and lanterns, and I was like, can we like, get away from that idea? You know, so it's kind of funny that you you ask that question, because I think about that sometimes. And especially since someone a long time ago was like, well, it's really Asian. I'm like, what does that mean?
5: (laughs) I mean, mean, the fundamental core of reweave is we're saving the fabrics from being thrown away to the landfills, right? So I guess, as Asians, we like to save things (laughs) and not throw (laughs) things away. So I guess, does that answer your question?
2: But you know, like, uh, so if you're Vietnamese, a lot of times it's the women who are actually the entrepreneurs. You know, women in the Vietnamese culture are, you know, now salon owners, and they do all these different uh, work. I think that where for me, with at least for my family, seeing my mom uh, creating all of the various uh, companies in my lifetime, I was at one point a like a kid that cut the additional like thread from our. It was like a sweatshop kid, and I can't say that. <laughs> but basically when we had, uh, we were making the garments in the LA in 1980s. And so they were basically making the garments. So we were the ones that cut the extra thread. And I was like, that's five cents. You know, like <laughs> five cents, five cents, five cents. But as a kid, you're inspired by your parents. And so your, my parents were entrepreneurs. I naturally found that route to be my career choice. Am I gonna be a doctor? No. Uh, No, but entrepreneur, yeah, totally, fun, I can totally do that. So for me, that was the thread that was woven into my DNA, and that's where I felt like it was most like my heritage, because if you're Vietnamese, you came to America, you're basically having to scrunch and support kids right away. And so seeing our parents doing that work and not being at the dinner table and not seeing them at dinner because they're working you you go to school you learn how to go to school yourself you take the bus you go home and you have to do everything yourselves that independence is ingrained in my brain at least and so i just knew that that's something that i was going to do something that's very different yeah
1: beautifully said and with that uh please join me in thanking our esteemed panel will Adel, pate and julie